Well, good morning, everybody, and I, I hope everybody's staying warm. Welcome to the ice chest that is the Wind River Valley right now, right? A um, few announcements. First off, if you're a visitor, uh, we have the uh, visitor sheet in the back that you can fill out. Um, there's also the, the slips in the back of the chairs. Uh, please fill one of those out if you're a visitor. Uh, give us a phone number so we can get a hold of you. Um, so first thing, uh, there won't be a finance update um, after church today, there's still some things the Elder Board and the Finance Committee are ironing out on the Parsonage renovation, so um, we won't be doing that, but there is still the family chore event taking place where we're ripping out the green carpet in the green room. I don't know what that room will be called anymore. It's still going to be a green room, right? It, yeah, we'll do something green in there, right? Just to keep it the green room, so... Um, <clears throat> There also, I know in the, in the bulletin it says there will be a parsonage tour. Uh, that is canceled right now, so stay tuned for that. But for right now, that is canceled, so don't, don't head over to Shane and Becky's and go inside their house right after church. There is no tour. So um, let's see. The Titus Two Women Ladies Game Night is January 19th um, from 4.30 to 8. There will be child care available. Invite a friend. Please bring, and last week I said, please bring food. Now I'm telling you, please bring food to share, right? Not just bring your food, bring enough for everybody. I don't know. Yes. So bring a casserole to share. Okay. And don't, yeah. even if you don't bring something, bring yourself. Okay. All right. Um, let's see. The, the member meeting, quarterly member meeting, will be January 28th after the service. So please plan to attend that. Uh, You'll see in the, in the bulletin there is a community worship tonight at CWC at 6 o'clock. So uh, keep that in mind. And if there's nothing else, Miriam is going to... Last week we talked about the Hope Dealers Q&A on February 4th. That is still on, and Miriam wants to talk a little bit more about that. Good morning. I won't say a whole lot. I just wanted to make sure you guys know when we say Hope Dealer who we're talking about. We do a regular ministry to the people without homes in our community. That happens on a Sunday morning with several different things and then also during the week. And we call ourselves in the ministry Hope Dealers. It's kind of an overlap between the mission work Alan and I are doing, mission work Shannon and Ray Choate are doing, and what's happening here in the church. And so on February 4th, we're going to talk a little more about what we're doing, what the vision is, what our heartbeat is for that ministry, but we also want to open it up to for you guys to share what you think, what your questions are, what your th thoughts are for this ministry, because we want to do that as a, a whole church, not just on the side somewhere downstairs alone. So we want to do it together, and especially we want to know what you think about it too. So we hope to have you there on February 4th to, to uh, talk and listen and share and seek God's will in all of that. Thank you. Thanks, Miriam. <clears throat> All right, let's go ahead. If there's nothing else, go ahead and stand, and we'll do our monthly memory verse. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This, the Lord's doing, is it like this in our eyes. <laughs> 1, 18, 22, and 23. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, uh, just the, the people here today. Lord, we pray that... Uh, uh, we could be safe in these in these cold times, Lord. We pray for people who don't have a, a warm place to go, Lord. We pray that they would uh, just find that 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 uh, uh, they would seek seek that out, and 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 uh, in doing so, Lord, just see that you are a loving Father. See that you uh, you love them. That uh, 
we're all made in your image, Lord. We, we, uh, we love you. We, we just pray for, for everybody to, to seek uh, and find warmth in these times. Lord, we, we also pray for uh, your, your gospel, Lord. We pray that uh, it, would, it would reach people, that uh, it would change lives, it would continue to work in all of us. Uh, we're all a work in progress, Lord. We know that, and we just pray that uh, you would just continue to shape us. And Lord, we, uh, we again lift this time to you, and uh, through music and through, through praise, we just uh, thank you and we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, good morning, church. It is a chilly morning. Yes. Well, should we warm up with God's Word? Uh, there's some warmth there for us today. Um, my name is Shane. If you're new here, I just want to welcome you. And I'm pastor here. And what a privilege it is to serve the saints here at First Baptist. Um, just a couple housekeeping things. I want to invite you. Would you join us for that community service tonight? Um, I have uh, garnered a, a good friendship with several pastors in town, and, and we love to get together, play worship. And my good buddy Cade is going to be preaching tonight for us. So we're very excited um, for him to preach from Neighborhood Alliance. And then I want to ask you, would you continue to pray for us as a church? Uh, there's a lot of discussions in the air. There's a lot of things happening. This year is really a year for us to seek the Lord about who we are as a church. What does God have for us as a church? Why has he assembled us together in this time? And so we want to be people who listen to God and to take courageous steps forward in this next year. Amen? And so would you join us in praying that those courageous steps would be in step with God and his will for us as a church? And then as we get into Mark, uh, just as a, a recap of what we've seen, we saw Jesus enter Jerusalem as a victorious king before he had started battle. And we know that this is the Passion Week we're going through in Mark, the, the week of Jesus' life leading up to his death, burial, and resurrection. And so we are going to, to continue to climb through the series called A Good King Goes to War. Now, how many of you had actually broken something that you had borrowed? Anybody? Accidentally? On purpose? Maybe it was a sibling's toy? Well, I'll never forget at my, at my bachelor party, we've, the bachelor party for uh, me and the guys ended up being more expensive than our entire wedding. Let me tell you why. Me and my, my groomsmen thought it would be a great idea if we rented a, a pontoon boat and if we got a jet ski and we'd spend a day out on the lake. And it was a great time, except for there was this young, young man. And the other thing was that none of us had ever really driven these types of vehicles before. But again, young and not smart at the time was our condition. And so we spent the day driving around a jet ski, and a young man got behind that jet ski, and he didn't know how to stop. And so the thing about not stopping is that you tend to plow into something in front of you when you don't know how to stop. And this young man, he plowed that, that uh, jet ski right into our pontoon boat, and the front of that jet ski just went... You could see in slow motion, all of my groomsmen were trying to think, should I throw myself in front of these two vehicles so we don't have this horrendous damage. Um, but uh, as we saw that it had occurred, we all started to open up our, our piggy banks as broke college students living on top ramen. None of us had any money to cover the $2,400 sum to, uh, to fix the jet ski. And so thankfully, uh, between me and, and Becky's dad, 
stepping in, my, my father-in-law paid for my bachelor party. But you, yeah, you can give him an applause for that. We're going to read a passage of scripture where God really, it's a, it's a parable. And if you remember, parables are there to offend the prideful and invite the humble. Parables in scripture, when Jesus taught in parables, it was to offend the prideful and invite the humble. So if you're here and you're prideful, prepare to be offended. And he was speaking to a group of very prideful men. And the whole premise is this idea that God has given us a lot. Amen. He has given us many blessings, many good things. But the people that he entrusted with something very important like his people have busted it, have broken it, have turned it into something that they feel is for themselves and not owned by God himself. It makes me think about how many times times this type of stuff happens in our culture. Anybody ever been Facebook hacked? Anybody ever been Facebook hacked where your account on Facebook is taken over by somebody else and then they email all your friends with your name and say, hey, buy this product or click this link? I, I know because I've seen some of your accounts being hacked on Facebook, so don't tell me that's not happening. Um, another thing, identity theft. Is that a thing today? Um, I, I was having a... I was having a Christmas uh, gathering with my brother, and he was telling me that this last year his identity had been stolen, and somebody had opened up a credit card account in his name. Somebody had taken his name and hijacked it or co-opted it, co-opted it for their own personal gain. And we're going to see a group of people do that to the very grace of the Lord uh, and he's going to, Jesus is going to point this out to a group of men who were religious leaders at the time. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Mark. We're going to start in chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And if you'll read along with me. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and they beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They will respect my son. He had still one another, a beloved son. Finally, they will respect my son. And they took him, and they killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that they, he told this parable against them, so they left him and went away. They left him and went away. The first thing that we need to ask when we look at this parable that Jesus is telling a group of religious people is who is the owner? What, who is the owner of the vineyard? As the owner builds this incredible vineyard and puts all this work into it, 
who is the owner. Right. It symbolizes God or tells us that God is the owner. Well, we can ring true with that, can't we? We know that God is the creator God. There's nothing that we see that hasn't been created by God himself. Amen. God has created all things, and so all things really belong to him. I think of people who create awesome new uh, technology and that kind of thing or write a new book. Uh, there's these things called copyrights and patents. You know why those are in there? So that people cannot steal them. They can't take credit for what you came up with. Well, the cool thing is God really kind of has a patent, doesn't he? A copyright on all of creation. That's a pretty powerful copyright, isn't it? He has the rights to it. And we see that with the rights that he has, who does he turn loose on creation? Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And secondly, and let them have dominion. Everybody say that with me, dominion. Over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God is the owner, but he puts who in charge of his creation? You and me. The image bearers of God are given dominion or rule over creation. And so we're entrusted. We're kind of on a lease. You know what I'm saying? We're kind of on a lease. Humanity was given dominion to tend to the vineyard, to tend to creation, to make it flourish, to enjoy God in his presence. But what did we do with that dominion? We wanted to be the owners and the rulers of right and wrong. We wanted to say that this creation was now ours. With that dominion that God gave us, we took it and we co-opted it, didn't we? And we co-opted to this day. Intention that we... Uh, the intention of him giving dominion to us is that we might bear eternal fruit with creation. That means when he says go forth and multiply, that means men and women and families and marriage relationships to go forward, to provide for families, to come together and to glorify God and enjoy his creation and take care of it. Amen. That was the intention of the owner of creation. For the people hearing this parable from Jesus, they were these guys called the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, were all listening to this parable. And I love at the end of it, it says that they perceived that he told this parable against them. You ever been reading the Bible and you go, I perceive that this is against me, God. <laughs> I hope you have, because that means you're actually reading your Bible, right? And so he's telling this, this parable and in this scenario, the religious leaders at the time had been put in, had been given charge as descendants of Aaron in the priesthood to take care of God's people and their relationship with God. And were they doing that? What were they doing? They viewed themselves as the owners, the creators of the church. And so now it was their rule and not God's rule. And they were the owners. And so here Jesus points out to them that you have co-opted the temple. You have taken this faith, this faith pursuit of Yahweh, and you've manipulated it so that you can get personal gain. The temple did not belong to them, but they were tenants, weren't they? Just as we in creation, we don't own a creation. God is the ultimate owner. And so we need to be people who understand that God, are, God is the creator of all people, places, and things. And he is therefore the owner, isn't he? Everything. Everything that we see, everything that we have. 
Well, I think most of us could say generally that's okay, but when it comes to our stuff, can you recognize that you're also just a tenant farmer of your life, of the people in your lives, including your kids and your relationships? What if we viewed ourselves as just the stewards of the places and things that we own because we know the true owner is who? God. But that's the intent of this passage is to point out that, that we are not the owner. We are not the owner. Adam and Eve were given dominion as stewards. I want to take you to a passage, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. This is an important aspect of the Christian worldview. You are not what? That's going to hurt some Wyomingites, those true independent Wyomingites. Are you guys okay? I'm a self-made man, Pastor. I've worked hard for what I have. It's mine. My father-in-law always likes to train my kids to say, mine, 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 mine. And yet, that tends to be our perspective on our life, on our time, on our things, isn't it? Our perspective is that we are the owners. But here, we find out in Scripture, when you become a Christian, you say that my body isn't even my own. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. So the next time I'm looking at a carton of Oreos and a cup of milk, I got to go, right now, I want to eat all of those, but my body is not my own. It belongs to the Lord, <laughs> and maybe eating a whole carton full of Oreos is not good for me. It's maybe not what God wants for me. And so there's this sense then, our bodies don't belong to us, they belong to the Lord. How many of you consulted the Lord today about how you're to take care of yourself? Or do you view your body as belonging to you? When you put on your clothes, did you ask God, God, what would you have me wear that would glorify you? As you go to work... Did you ask, God, as I do this work, what of this work is of you? What, what do you want for me to do? And by the way, I think there's enough in Scripture to say that God wants us to do all things to the glory of, of Him, right, of God. And so there is a sense that we do all things in excellence. Why? Because we're not the owner. We respect the owner, the one who owns all things, who created all things, because as believers, we were what? bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And so there's this the kind of this idea as you think about your body doesn't belong to you. And as you become a Christian, you say, I now confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. I don't just with my mouth, but with my whole body and being, I belong to the Lord. You think about the perspective of the apostles and the disciples. Did they consider themselves uh, their own free agent thinking people? No, what they considered themselves, oftentimes, if you look in the letters, they would call themselves Paul, a slave to our Lord Jesus, right? A slave or a servant. You've seen it maybe in some translations, it's bond servant. They considered themselves bought with a price by Jesus. Therefore, they are, do not own themselves. They are mere stewards or taking care of that which belongs to God. Does that mean when, when you think about ownership, does it change how you treat something, depending on the owner? If you're the owner, a lot of times, if we think we're the owner, we're the hardest on stuff, aren't we? Anybody? But if you know it's somebody else's, do you treat it with some amount of respect, don't you? Unless they're not a very good friend, and then you treat it with a lot of disrespect to get back at them. I hear people saying no, but you know what happens, doesn't it? 
We do that. We do that. You were bought with a price, and therefore your body, your life is precious to the Lord Jesus and therefore should be treated as precious. Do you ever feel just kind of down on yourself? Like you just feel like you're, you feel terrible, you look terrible, you just feel like today you're just not really excited about yourself. Well, it doesn't matter because you're not the owner. The one who calls you precious is the owner. Isn't that beautiful? Aren't you glad that your feelings about yourself doesn't govern your value and your worth? Because a believer, we can look and say, the owner speaks high value over me. How does he speak high value over us? Because we were bought at a pretty high price, weren't we? What was the price paid for us? The very life of the most valuable and important person in all of eternity poured his life out for us. Does that make us or give us intrinsic value? Even if we feel like dirt, even if we've failed, even if we're at the lowest point in our life, do we still have intrinsic value and worth? Yeah, because the owner says so. Isn't that good? The owner says so. And therefore, the Christian's perspective changes to steward, to steward. We become stewards of the things instead of a rival. See, the, the Pharisees here is Jesus is telling this parable, who are the men sent by the master in the vineyard? They symbolized the prophets who came in the Old Testament, didn't they? And were the prophets ever received well in the Scriptures? Have you ever read through the Old Testament? When people came speaking for the Lord, everybody just said, awesome, we're going to listen to everything you have to say. No. They were beaten. Some of them were killed. They were ostracized. And so this parable is going through the history of Israel and looking at the people of Israel and saying, you turned away, you beat, you hurt the people that represented me as the owner, trying to tell you what my will was for what was mine. And so they were and had become rivals to God in his ownership. Do you ever find yourself rivaling God over who's the owner? Instead of taking a stewardship approach, these men had begun to deny God's direction in their lives, relationships, and possessions. And I think every time that we take a step away from God where we say, I, I know what God's Word says, but I'm going to do the opposite here, what are we doing? We're rivaling God over His ownership of us, aren't we? We're saying, you don't understand, God, my life is mine. I know some of you maybe said that to your parents when you're headed off to college, right? <laughs> How about your relationships? For those of you who are married, we live in a culture that says, you know, they stopped meeting my needs and making me feel good about myself so I can just get a divorce. Does marriage belong to man? No. Who invented marriage? God himself, right? God himself. It's an institution defined by God. Man cannot say, here's how your institutions are going to work because they're not the owner. He gives us marriage. And yet, even in that relationship, we tend to deny uh, men, even in men and women in marriage, you ever think about today, how would God want me to treat my spouse versus how do I want to treat my spouse? You ever been there? How many of you have had to say no to yourself and treat your spouse or that person? How about that person at work for those of you who are single or that person that you see every day and you're, you're walking through and you're remembering God's the owner here. Surely the way that I talk to this person, I need to talk to them in a way that God would have me talk to them. Like on the roadways when everybody's slipping around and driving past each other on solid ice. You think maybe instead of shaking my fist at that person that just passed me on an icy road, I need to pray for their safety. 
I know that's not my instant inclination. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but we're stewards. Again, we view ourselves as stewards. And so he tells these Pharisees then that what I have given you, I will take away and give to others. And he's talking about the people of Israel who've rejected the prophets, who are now in the week of rejecting the very Son of God who God himself sent to us. They were going to reject him. And what was going to happen when he was resurrected and the church expands throughout history? What was going to happen? It was going to go from just the people of Israel to all of us Gentiles. The grace, the temple, the relationship with God would go from a specific people group to all peoples at the cross. And so that's where the the church comes in. If you're here and you're a believer, it was given to, to you and me the grace of our Lord and restoration of relationship with him, wasn't it? Is that a gift he's given us? By faith, yes. And so it was given to others. It was given to all. We are just stewards. What is a steward, by the way? It's not just some guy named Stuart. Steward is what? This is the participation. Caretaker. Caretaker. So you're a caretaker, get this, of your own body. God's the owner. You're a caretaker of all the things that he has given you, whether it be your house whether it be your bank account, whether it be uh, even the, the coffee that you drink, you, you are a steward of the things that God has given you, the possessions and relationships that he has. You are a caretaker. Well, that's a different perspective from the American mindset, isn't it? What does the American mindset say? Mine, 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 mine. We look at John 1, 11 through 13, says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave, excuse me, the rights to become children of God, who were born not of blood, this is really important, nor of the what? Oops. Nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of, the, of man. So there's this idea that, that the stewardship that was placed upon us by belief and faith in Jesus doesn't belong to us, does it? And it wasn't something that we've done by our own will. And so I, I want to just, this is, a, obviously there's a, a lot longer list that I could make, but I just came up with three important co-opted blessings today that you and I take advantage of. Just like the tenant farmers, they threw out God's prophets that he sent. They threw out the son and killed him and tried to take ownership. There are three co-opted blessings that I'd like us to look at today that I think are under threat that we are in danger of co-opting from him. See, the people at the time, they seized him, killed him, and threw him, in, threw him out of the vineyard. Do we do that with our lives, with our possessions, and with our relationships? How many of you have a compartment in your life that you do not let God touch? Ooh, that just got personal. Are you okay? That compartment that you just do not want God to touch, you don't want him to have ownership over, you don't even want him to know that about you. But he does know, and he is the owner. We must be careful that this is not what we do to God today in all the many areas of our life. Number one, Scripture gives us this idea that we can co-opt God's grace that we can co-opt God's grace. The Scriptures tell us this in Galatians. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
What is he talking about here? That you were given the freedom to have relationship with God. You were given freedom from sin. Can we use that as an opportunity for the flesh and for sin to creep in? How many of you have ever done something you said, you know, I know somebody's going to forgive me for this anyway. I'm just going to do it. You ever heard the phrase, uh, it's better to uh, do it now than ask for forgiveness later? It's literally a phrase, a catchphrase that we have today. And so, yeah, do we co-opt God's grace? I think, yes, we do. How are ways that we co-opt God's grace today? When we use it as a justification for sin, when we know we can get away with it, should we still do it? No, I'd say that's co-opting God's grace, co-opting God's grace. And Paul said multiple times, let it never be that we abuse that kind of grace that he gives us in Jesus Christ. It's equivalent, and this is Shane's summation of Paul, it's equivalent of walking up to Jesus on the cross and hawking a loogie on him and spitting on him. How disrespectful it would be that we continue to justify our sin because of the grace of of God, because we know that we can get away with it, but that is awful. Dis, it's an awful co-option, co-option, co-op. It's an awful way to co-opt God's grace. <laughs> Number two, uh, another thing that we see as far as God's grace, how do we co-opt God's grace? Anybody heard of the parable of the talents? Does God give you an ability and position when you, especially when you come to faith? Does He give you a gift? Well, scripturally, you may not know what it is, but scripturally it says that as soon as you come into faith that you're given a gift. And for those of us who have wealth and those of us who even have a life, anybody living and breathing in here? It talks about this parable of the tenants that somehow God kind of holds us accountable for what he's given to us in the parable of the talents. If you remember, right, he gives a lot of these guys, three guys, three different amounts of money. Um, one guy, he just buries it in the dirt and does nothing with it. And at the end of the parable, what, is, what does Jesus say about this man? He, he's, he's thrown out, right? And not just thrown out, but there's a harsh punishment. It says, uh, for those who have what they do have will be taken away from them. Same language as we saw here, right? be taken away from them. But for those who do have what they do have will, will increase in abundance, right? And so there's this idea of grace. So if all of us here have been given gifts of grace, then our responsibility, if we're going to be good stewards, is to use them to do more than just sit in the pews, to do more than just sit in the chairs on Sunday. If you have a gifting from the Lord, then, then it's part of our responsibility of stewards of that varied grace. In fact, let me show you the passage. It's in 1 Peter 4.10. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. You've been given grace. You've been given a gift. Are you sitting on it? like the man who buried his talent in the dirt. That is co-opted grace. That is co-opted grace. If we don't use them, then we are co-opting them for, for Christ and the church. We're co-opting them from Christ and the church. Um, the parable of the talents, what happened to that? the person who buried that talent says, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Matthew 25, 29 through 30. That's a pretty harsh punishment, isn't it? So co-opting grace is a serious matter. Number two, co-opted blessings are the church. 
has the church been co-opted today, do you think? If you can think about where has the church been co-opted, and when I say church, I don't mean the church building. What do I mean, brothers and sisters? The children of God collectively are the church, right? Those who believe and follow Jesus and are children of God, we are the church. It's not a, it's not a building. I want you to think about the church has been co-opted. Uh, we're about to go into an election year. I heard one yay, and I heard a lot of, oh. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. Would you fight with me not to let yourself get co-opted for a political agenda? Don't get co-opted. The church is not a political device to be manipulated. We are servants of the Most High King. We don't even get to tell God who we're going to vote for. We say, Lord, what would you have me vote for? We don't walk in and tell our owner, but instead, again, if we have that perspective of being a steward, then the church cannot, again, be a political pawn, brothers and sisters. The world does not define to us how we are to think, how we are to serve, and what we are to do. We have to stay planted in the Word of God because He is our owner. And by the way, no matter what political position you take on whatever, you're always in danger of being politically Moldy manipulated, aren't you? That's where we have to be people who ask, what would the Lord do here? It's not a service. It's not a people. I think the church has been co-opted, and it's, it has a lot of expectations on itself. I think a lot of people view the church as, it needs to entertain me. Do we see that today? And if it doesn't entertain me enough, I'm finding a better entertainment. Just like turning the channel, I'm going to find a group of people who are going to entertain me better. It cannot be that that's co-opted. It's become a building. Even when we say the church now, I have to delineate that when I say the church, I don't just mean a building. I mean the people. That's why it's so cool. Tonight, we're going to go to a college, a a secular college, yeah? And we're going to gather together as believers because we're not a building. We're the believers, the children of God in the city of Riverton. And there are a lot of different flavors, but, man, we, those who profess Jesus, are more than just a building. By the way, we're also not a social program or a social service. We exist to glorify God and pursue Him, not to meet all of the demands and the ills of society. There's a benefit that when Christians get together, we're very graceful and we're very loving. And because God has transformed us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, that we spend a lot of time and resources helping others to do the same. But that is not our core mission, the relief of social ills. It's the pursuit of Christ. It's the pursuit of Christ. And so the church has been co-opted. You ever heard this pressure? This is what the church should do. You ever heard somebody that in conversation? This is what those Christians should do. If they were really Christian, this is what they would do. I can't tell you as a pastor how many times I'm told that. This is what the church should do. And I'm like, that's fine, but I'm not in charge. And you're definitely not in charge. I'm a steward. And so I have to consult the Lord here. I don't get to say what we do. Um, It's become a house of education, which is, again, it's a good thing. The church is a place where we should be educating the brothers and sisters, but it's also a place of the people edifying and loving one another. That seems like a higher, almost a higher pursuit for the church because Jesus first loved us. We are to love one another. And the world will know who we serve by, you guys know this passage? How we love one another, not by our good knowledge or our good theology. It's a redeemed family adopted by the blood of Christ. So the grace has been co-opted. The church 
has been co-opted. I'd say creation has been co-opted in a big way, and I want to start with just even sexuality and gender. Has it been co-opted today? We don't get to look up at God and say, this is how we want you to have made us. Anybody tried that? I was really, I was talking to God today in the mirror. God, how come you didn't make me so I could grow a beard faster? But we don't get to look at him. He says, here's how healthy sexuality occurs within a committed covenant relationship called marriage. And marriage, you have to define it today, don't you? You guys remember a time when you didn't have to define it? It's between a man and a woman, yes? There was a time. Again, no matter where you're at with this, I, I don't mean to attack, but we need to understand that we're not the ones in charge. We don't get to tell God the things that he is owner over. We are merely stewards of our marriages. We are merely stewards of the relationships. We are merely stewards of the pleasure that he's given us in sexuality. And so we need to walk with him as the person who is owner. Gender. How about family? We were talking about this today in Sunday school. Family is being torn apart by every show and every entertainment in every way possible in our society, isn't it? But family is where God has really designed families to be the core or the crux of our culture, of our society, that we would train up young people in families and that there would be men and women who would be also become parents, a mom and a dad. If you look at studies, if kids are missing either a, a, a dad or a mom, it's hard, isn't it? And God can redeem any situation, but statistically, if a child goes without a, the way God designed it, a committed mom or a committed dad, it's much harder for that child, isn't it? And so there's a sense that family is under deconstruction or being co-opted. How many commercials have you seen in the last several weeks where the definition of family now just means two consenting adults of any gender that live together? I'm not in charge. God's the one in charge. Uh, also in creation, when we look at, um, I was going to say gender differences, by the way, as far as creation, God created men and he created women. And he did so on purpose, by the way. And there's a reason why women think differently than men. Can I get an amen for that? And there's a reason why men think differently than women. Can I get an amen for that? Okay. Because... <laughs> Because God has made us so beautifully and uniquely to fit together, not just physically, but also emotionally and spiritually, that we might come together to make something far beyond ourselves. This is where the Bible says that man leaves his father and mother and now cleaves to his wife, and the two become one flesh. It doesn't just mean sex, but that means an entirely new entity. Together, they become something called a family. Our gender differences, both equal but made in the image of God, both men and women, equal but made in the image of God, deserving of beauty and respect. But we don't have to railroad people into this spectrum of different genders, but we can encourage them to seek out what the Lord has for them and what, how God made them for a purpose. Also, nature and things. <clears throat> And this is a, a longer conversation. Oh, 1 Timothy 5, 7 through 8. <clears throat> Here's a passage. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives. So this is Paul to Timothy, and he's telling Timothy, encourage the believers to provide for their relatives and especially for members of his household. 
He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul said that to Timothy. Is there a high value for family there? Men and women who don't show up for their family, that, man, I don't want to stand under that. Jesus, God is the owner. But for those who don't provide for their families, how many times do we see dads leave, moms disappear, not show up for the family? It actually says that they're worse than an unbeliever. What's, I, I don't have a category for that. You guys know what, what would the category be for that? An unbeliever still stands in total judgment of the wrath of God and eternal separation. What's worse than that? So these are high-gravity things in Scripture. And then also nature stewarding creation to the glory of God. We should care about the environment. We should take care of every environment that we are in. No matter where we're at, we are stewards of what belongs to the Lord. And so we should do what's best to His glory. Amen? That's why I tell my kids to clean up their room. We steward things. What we have should be used to glorify God. When we hoard it and don't take care of it, then we obviously don't respect the master, do we? When we hoard it to ourselves. I think many people today, just as a quick example, we view our homes like this, don't we? You ever, you ever really not liked having somebody come over to your house? Because you're like, it's not clean enough, and I just don't like it. People are messy. Surely I'm not the only one that's been like that. But there's this sense that if we look at our houses, if I, as I look at that parsonage, I say that parsonage is not mine for multiple reasons. But every house I've had, it's not mine. It doesn't belong to me. It's the, the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord. How do we use our homes to the glory of the Lord if you are hoarding it to yourself? then just maybe you're co-opting the blessing that God gave you in creation. So I just want to encourage you not to be like me on my bachelor party and uh, see something that you were leased or loaned or given in, in good faith. Don't break those things. So what can we do in response? You take on the perspective of a steward by letting go of your life. That's a hard one. Letting go of your relationships and possessions and bearing eternal fruit with them. See, it's a, you will bear eternal fruit if you give your life, your relationship, and your possessions to the Lord and consider yourself just a steward. For small groups, would you ask, what are people, places, and things in my life that I consider mine? This might be a really good identifi- identifier for you. What would, you change about how, what would change about how I treat people, places, and things if I'm just a steward? What would change about how I treat people, places, and things if I'm just a steward, not the owner? I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to have Carol come up and play. We're going to have just a time of response. I'll have our elders come forward uh, with the plates. But would you bow your heads and would you spend time working with the Lord? What, what is something that you have struggled with letting go of? So at the end of this passage, it says that Jesus has become the, key, the chief cornerstone. What does that mean? It means it, Jesus is the thing that we build all people, places, and things around. He becomes our purpose in life. And so if there's something in our life that is not based around Christ, then we are actively walking and co-opting what God gave us. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Carol will play. The elders will go around with the offering plates. Would you just do some business with the Lord and ask him, what Have I had a controlling interest over that I need to let go?
As we dismiss, I just want to encourage you as we think about stewardship, would you join us in stewarding this building that God has given us as we do some carpet work downstairs? Um, And so we want to invite you to join us in a family chore if you can. And uh, also, brothers and sisters, I just want to pray a blessing over you as we go from here today. Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for my brothers and sisters here. God, would you help us not to walk around in life like we're in charge? God, would you help us to be the the good tenants that don't co-opt the blessings that you give us, but instead that we would make you the chief cornerstone of every aspect of our life. God, we want you to be the centerpiece. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.